We are Sunday mornings talking about families, and along with our annual theme of Strong and Courageous, we have decided to call this series the Fearless Families. And as we go through that, we're really using a picture that, a metaphor, if you will, for the family, and that is the picture of a house. Now, we started out with the very first lesson talking about the importance of not what kind of house you build, but what kind of foundation it's built on. And we said that that foundation is living God's word, knowing God's word, and making that a part of how you parent, how you act as a spouse. Uh, every part of your family life should be built on the foundation of God's word. And then we've said that in addition to the foundation, there are some structural walls. Within a home, there are the permanent walls and there are the temporary walls. Some are movable and some are not, or not designed really to be moved. And we're addressing more in this series than immovable walls. The, the walls that the Bible speaks about so clearly and how we can use those walls and build those walls in a way. Uh, we talked about being a mighty mom, uh, living the courageous covenant Last week we talked about uh, honoring and honored <laughs> honoring your parents, and this week we talk about being an honorable parent. Spending two weeks on parenting, because I really believe, certainly with my background in youth and family ministry, uh, how important this is as a subject. So I hope that it's been beneficial for you. The problem with talking about uh, with a sermon that's specifically to parents is this. Uh, there is a lot of things that you are pressured to do as a parent. There's a lot of ways in which you, if you don't feel like you're measuring up, and certainly with social media and the Internet, uh, you're constantly comparing yourself to every other parent. So if your child is, is not the, you know, uh, ace, uh, straight-A student and acing his ACTs and his SAT and getting a full ride to college, you may feel like, you're not doing a good job as a parent. Uh, if your student is, or child is not going into a field where they're going to make a lot of money and be real successful and, and have a lot of financial gain in this world, you may not feel like you're doing a good job as a parent. Uh, if your child's not an athlete, not going to a D1 school, not, not going to play professionally, uh, you might think you're not doing a good job as you're in your role as a parent. If your, stu if your child is not the most uh, popular kid at school, uh, relationally may not have a ton of friends, you may feel like, I'm not a great parent. What am I doing wrong? The Bible ignores all of that as a parent. And, and I think there's reason for that. Really, there is only one job as a parent. And we're going to repeat this often, so hopefully you'll get it today. Your number one job as a parent is to lead your children to Christ, that they might know him and grow up in him. If you do nothing else but that, then you have parented honorably. And if you do everything else besides that, you have missed the point of parenting. Parenting is a stewardship issue, in my opinion. God gives you your children for a time, and they're always your children, but there's a time of life where you have more direct and immediate influence. The, the difficulty in talking about parenting and being an honorable parent is that not only do we feel the pressure, 
But we realize that we fall way short. That we are imperfect. That all the parenting stuff we learned, we mostly got from watching our own parents who did it imperfectly. I don't know if you ever do this trick with like a copy machine. You take the original and you copy it. And it's, it's pretty close to the original, but it's not quite the same. If you take that copy and make a copy, it's even worse. And you take that copy and make a copy, it's even worse. Are you getting the analogy I'm making with parenting? When we watch only the model of imperfect people and copy their imperfect model, we're going to mess it up. We're going to, there are times as personally as a parent where I go, man, I just missed the opportunity there. Away, I way overdid it there. Well, the good news is, there are no perfect parents. And God's the only perfect parent, and, you know, look what happened to his kids. You think about the, the, uh, the story in Matthew chapter 2, when Mary and Joseph had the opportunity to raise a perfect child. Literally a perfect child. And the story is told, it seems kind of unusual that, they, that Matthew chose to include this in there. How did he know about it? Was it by the Spirit? Did Jesus relay this story? But what happened was, his family went to Jerusalem for the Passover. Big event, lots of people there. And, and while he was there, the 12-year-old Jesus sort of got lost in the mix. You know, it was kind of family camp. And where are the kids? I don't know. Hope they're somewhere good. But they get lost, and it's not immediately apparent to Mary and Joseph. Now, the scripture doesn't tell this part of the story, but can you imagine that moment when they realized what had happened? Mary comes along and says, uh, Joseph, um, I haven't seen Jesus in a couple of days. Have you? Do you know where, where he might be? Just like, wasn't my job. You mean you weren't watching him? Mary, this is a Passover. It doesn't mean passing over your children. It's just to keep an eye on them. Mary, always surprising me, always throwing these surprises in my life. Mary's like, don't give me that, Joseph. Don't you give me that. You heard the angel. We're supposed to name him God with us. He ain't with us. Can you imagine the pressure that they were under as parents? To try and raise the Son of God, given to them miraculously, conceived by the Spirit. And even they, of course, had their flaws and messed things up from time to time. I, I don't preach this sermon this morning to make you feel overwhelmingly guilty. My goal this morning is to help you understand that God has way fewer expectations of you as a parent than you do. But those expectations that he has are very, very serious. If you don't steward your child well, if you don't take seriously the number one job, you'll have missed the point of parenting. So, being an honorable parent does not mean being a perfect parent. Parenting, and I mean truly parenting, is hard. Becoming a parent, well, that, that's pretty easy, but, but truly parenting.
parenting, leading them to know Christ, to be Christ-like, to grow into the image of Christ in our world is oh so challenging. You have to be prayerful and thoughtful and intentional. Every day is full of new challenges. I, I speak to you this morning not as a perfect parent. Please don't say, oh, the preacher, he's got it all figured out. The longer I become a parent, the less I know. And I need you to understand that I and Christy, because of our position, does not exclude us from the pressures and the mistakes that parents often make. But I do believe that if you take parenting, godly parenting seriously, it's one of the most rewarding and fruitful works a person will engage in in this world. It's the highest calling that God gives in a family. And this morning I think there are two things that are crucial to that calling. And we're going to talk about them briefly. Number one, an honorable parent teaches God's wisdom. I found this quote from Laura Schlesinger, and I think it's great. She writes this, Parents are teachers of faith and morality. What God is to the world, parents are to their children. Unfortunately, some parents are so focused on the element of friendship or their own convenience or their own comfort or their own self-fulfillment, happiness, or love life that they forget that their job is to mold godly character so that their children will have the strength to do what is right in a world that many times encourages them to do otherwise. Our job is to teach them the words of this book. There's lots of ways to do that, and we'll look at those specifically, but there are many rewards. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says this, and Proverbs is all a book of wisdom, so we're going to use a lot of verses from there because it talks about this. But you know, primarily, the book of Proverbs was Solomon writing to his son, telling him as a father to a child, to his uh, own child, Here, here's the things I need you to know. If you're a parent of a, a graduating senior, you've got a, a, a child that's maybe not even a senior or junior yet, but they're getting close to that time of leaving the nest. There's always that franticness of, oh, the things I haven't taught them yet. Well, Solomon wrote them down. He said, here's what I want you to know. Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. What he's saying here is if you pay attention, the things we're teaching you will reward you. The, the difficulty is, especially in the Christian world, I mean... Um, if you're a parent who believes that God is important, and I assume if you're here you believe that, and you bring your church children to church regularly and you have family devotionals and, and you talk about these things, sometimes we assume that our children will get God by osmosis. And that's not the case. They only do what they see being done. They're only going to let Christ in their life if they see Christ being lived out. The worst example of this is an Old Testament example. A preacher by the name of Eli. Well, they didn't call him a preacher. They called him a priest. 
And he had the typical PK, you know, priest kids. Two boys by the name of Hophni and Phinehas. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 says this. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Which reminds us that just because the word is near you does not mean that the word is in you. A parent, even a preacher or a priest, has to take seriously his call. Never think that they'll figure it out on their own. Uh, This is one of the things that we've got in parenting culture, is this idea of teaching our kids to make good choices. Just make good choices. Just make good choices. And, And that's not a bad thing, but it's faulty if you don't define the difference between good and not good. If you don't have a consistent standard for what defines good. If you say, hey, it's a good thing to be liked by all the kids, then when they become a teenager and peer pressure is weighing heavily and it's constantly they're battling against doing things that the crowd does, that's because early on, mom or dad said, hey, the goal is to, to make good choices, is to do things that make other people like you. You have to understand that good is not what you decide. Good is what God decides. Good is defined by what God wants us to do. And evil is our doing those things that God doesn't want us to do. That sounds pretty simple, but if you don't clearly teach the difference in what's good and what's not good, they don't know how to make good choices. Your number one job is to lead your children to know Christ and to grow in Christ. Deuteronomy 6, we've studied this passage a little bit, so I'm not going to go read the whole passage, but verse 7 says this, these commands are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. You see, there is a difference between the mind and the heart. When you're reasonably convinced in the mind and logically you've laid out a case, that's okay, but what changes actions, what changes a life is when you're Impressed in the heart. Acts chapter 2 verse 37. Peter preached a sermon. And the scripture says. They were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter. What do we do? When Christ impresses your life. Not just your mind. But also your heart. It will impress your children. Because it will take. It will, you'll be able to notice it in your life. There's this great story. Um, Germany has just surrendered. And the, the war in Europe is over. And near Rome, the news is received by three young soldiers with much joy. One of them says, let's go into Rome and celebrate. We'll get drunk. We'll, we'll get some girls. We'll have an all-night celebration. And so off to Rome they go, walking and laughing along the way. One of them happens to look at his watch. And he says, well, back home it would be about 7.15 Central Standard Time. And as soon as he said that, one of the other young, young soldiers stopped. The other con- continued on for a few steps, and they noticed their friend had stopped. And they say, hey, what's the problem? Come on, let's go party, let's celebrate. The war's over. The soldier said, I can't go. They said, why not? Why not celebrate with us? 
He said, when you, when you told me what time it was just a moment ago, I realized that my very, that very moment, my parents were driving onto the parking lot of the Charlotte Avenue Church of Christ in Nashville. They have done that my whole life. All my life, we got there at 7.15 on the dot. We never missed a service. I cannot go tonight and commit the sins I know we were thinking about committing, knowing where my parents are and what they are doing. When you teach your children wisdom, that's good. But when you live out God's principles, it's far better. So don't just teach them by what you say. Teach them by what you do. That routine will yield a result. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 24 and 25 tells us the result. Wisdom, uh, I'm sorry, the, the father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave birth be joyful. I know this morning I said it was just to parents, but children or children anywhere in the auditorium have a responsibility. What do your parents do when they hear about your behavior? Do they rejoice? Are they thankful? Oh, they'll always love you. But make your parents proud of the way that they raised you. The good news is wisdom and righteousness don't happen by accident. You, you have to be intentional about it. The only way they're going to learn it is if you teach them. But the bad news is it's hard to do it. It's hard to be diligent and consistent. It's hard when you mess up. But the good news is... God gives you a tool. He gives you a tool to help you train your children. And that is the second point, to train them with discipline. Children, let me tell you the story of a land far away in a time long ago. It was about the mid-1980s. And back in that day, discipline was... Still kind of a thing. I don't know if this will bother you or not. (laughs) This is a clothing item. You might refer to it as a belt. Uh, Parents realize of an older generation that this was a tool of discipline. Some children can still remember getting a whooping. How many of you here got a whooping? Mm Mm-hmm. See? We're all, we all turned out reasonably okay. Still a few nervous ticks here now and then. Somebody takes off their belt too fast and it just locks us up. I didn't get too many whoopings, but when I went to school, that was back when they still disciplined children. And uh, when I went to Potwin Elementary School, I know this will shock and surprise you, but I went to the principal's often. And when you went to the principal's often, it was uh, not to build up your self-esteem. <laughs> you got a paddling. You win enough times. And I got a paddling or two. Numbers not relevant. <laughs> there was a 
purpose in that discipline. Now, somehow the hippies got a hold of parenting. And they don't want to do anything that brings little Junior to tears. I could never cause pain on my child. I could never abuse a child in that way. Listen to me. This is not a cultural thing. This is a scriptural thing. God designed our brains. He knows how they work. And the number one teacher of our little brains is a thing called pain. In fact, if you just want to listen, pain trains the brain. Now, this is true in all areas. A, a few weeks ago, as I was usually when I leave the house, I get a cup of coffee. And Christy is usually very gracious and makes that ahead of time, so it's usually waiting there on the counter. This particular morning, I was kind of in a rush. I had a couple things in my hands. And as I was heading out, I grabbed the cup, but the lid was not fully on there. Okay, this is a cup of hot coffee. And it spills on me, on the floor, and on my five-year-old daughter, Grace. And she's crying and hurt, and Christy... Picks her up and, and gets her to the sink and puts cold water on her foot. That was a painful experience. Unintentional. Do you know how she feels toward coffee right now? It is, it is the worst mistake of my parenting career so far. It is, she hates coffee. She doesn't even, if I get the coffee cup out, she kind of shies away. What does that tell you? Pain trains the brain. When you as a parent discipline your child, and, and discipline is simply giving them a painful lesson, a painful experience to teach them a powerful lesson, that lesson stays in there. You can talk to them, you can negotiate with them, you can put them in time out, but nothing trains the brain better than pain. It is so difficult. You say, oh, show me book, chapter, and verse. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. The point is, we have to be diligent about training our children. It's not just about spanking, but it does start there. We have to be willing to, in, to introduce our children to painful experiences so that they might learn God's ways. The, the difficulty with that is, with children, you're not dealing with people who have fully formed brains. They don't fully understand. So passive parents say, well, I'm just going to let my child figure it out. Here you go, four-year-old fly, be free. No, your job is to train them. If God wanted your kids to figure things out on their own, why did he give them parents? Your job is to help train them. When your child gets to be 14, 15, 16, you say, well... Here you go, son. Here's the keys to the car. Hope you figure it out. No, that's not how you train a 15-year-old to drive a car or a 5-year-old to ride a bike. You walk with them. You show them. You, you, you guide them. You give them instruction and mentoring and training and example. And yes, occasionally a painful experience. It's our job. Remember Eli and his sons? This is what God said of Eli in, in 1 Samuel 3. He said, For I told him, 
that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. You see, the sin was Hophni and Phineas's. They were guilty. But the son, or the father had a role in that. When he knew that something was going wrong, he failed to train them. He failed to restrain them. He failed to do the things that God had called him to do, including discipline. All right, so a little bit of parent participation. This is for all parents under, uh, with children under the age of 18. Okay, And kids... I want you to look at your mom and dad and make sure they're participating. Because the questions I ask, you want to know the answers to, okay? So if you have, again, this is only for parents with kids under 18. Parent participation. Raise your hand if the answer to the question is yes. If the answer is no, just keep your hands down, okay? Number one, do you love your child? Kids, look. You want to check. You might, not, you might wonder. Okay, good. Question two. Do you want your child to be successful and wise? Raise your hand. Okay. Number three, do you want your child to have a good life? Okay. Kids are looking around like, uh-uh, that's not, uh-uh. Not with the rules you made. Number four, do you want your child to bring you joy and fulfillment? Okay. The Bible answer, if you want all of those things, and if you love your children, then discipline them. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says this, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 22:15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14 do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen: The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. My second prop this morning is what you might call a spatula. It's not a spatula. Never been used to cook that I know of. Has warmed a few rear ends. Now, some people take offense to that. But I'm going as a parent to submit myself to Scripture. That God's wisdom is better than mine. Now, there are some objections. I get it. Number one, I hate it. I hate doing it. Yes, I get it. We as parents do not like inflicting pain on our children. The day that I spilt the coffee, I felt so terrible. I mean, all day. I still just tell them that story. Oh, it is so hard. There were times when, when Tyler or Grace, when they were younger, where they would be fussing and whining and, and causing a stir during church. I would do like young mothers having to do this morning and take them out. But an older, wiser parent said, when you take them out, 
Don't let them just sit and play on the floor. Don't let that be a pleasurable experience. Because children are smart, and they'll figure out if they just fuss, then they get to go out there and play. And so we carried a, we didn't carry the big boy here. We carried a little miniature version of the spanky spoon. And I don't even know if Tyler still remembers this, but we would go out there, and I would take him down the children's hallway, and we'd go into a classroom, and he knew. I mean, that's why he hates Mary and Stacy's classroom. It just, <laughs> it's a scarring experience. Now, I didn't like it. I'm not, I'm not saying it was easy. I had a process for it. I would sit down, and I would say, Tyler, why are we here? <laughs> I, made, I made a bad choice. <laughs> why did you make a bad choice? I was, I was causing a problem. <laughs> now, I was almost on the verge of tears as much as he was. And I said, what does God tell me to do as your parent? <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to spank me. Lean over, pull little drawers down, and I give him a squat. And he'd cry, and the world was ending, and I'd pull him back in my lap, and he'd cry, and pretty quickly it'd end. And I'd, we'd talk a little more, and we always ended by praying together. And I would always remind him, I said, You know, you know I love you, but I can't stand for that. Now, you do that enough times. Children stopped wanting to go into the foyer. <laughs> they didn't want to go to Bible class either. <laughs> you make that a painful experience to teach them a powerful lesson, and you'll lead them where God needs them to be so they're in here or they're in class hearing the word and listening. It is hard. I know that you hate it. But God, there's a lot of things that God tells us to do that we're going to hate doing. Secondly, I could never abuse a child. Well, we're not talking about abuse here. And, and if you've been abused as a child, and I apologize for that, but that is not discipline. Not as God intended it. In fact, God set up something in your brain that makes it difficult as a parent. When I tell the story about Tyler and the rod and how difficult that is, I, I'm still in my heart. That really hurts. It's hard. That's good. That's, that's God's little breaker switch inside your heart that keeps you from overdoing it. It keeps you from carrying it too far. Because you hate it, because you, you, don't want, you want to stay away from abuse, that means you're a normal, God-fearing, healthy parent. That doesn't mean you should not discipline. I mean, as Christians, if we stopped doing all the things that were hard, would we have ever followed Jesus? So I have a process. And finally, it's hard. It's difficult. Welcome to parenting. One of the best things God ever did was make us raise our own children. Because when you parent correctly and discipline your child, you know on a very, very small proportion, a little eensy bit of what God feels when we disobey him, when he must discipline us. Discipline is never an easy thing. It isn't pleasant for parent or child. To do discipline takes discipline. Uh, whether you're taking them out in the foyer, 
whether you're going out in what I call the little glass cage back there. Hello, everybody. You ever wave at the parents? It's like going to the zoo. (laughs) But, you know, those parents are doing the right thing. They are doing what God's called them to do. So it's just for a time. It's not forever. You will get through it, and it is worth it. You know why we know that? Because Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. And here's a verse you want to highlight. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If you train your children, then God can train them for the rest of your life. It's your number one job to lead your children to know Christ and to grow in Christ. And when you do, there are plenty of blessings. So parents, don't give up. You know, hang in there. Dispense godly wisdom in your family. Discipline your children consistently. You do those two things. And this too shall pass. You will get out of the glass cage. You'll be able to enjoy a full worship service. You will, you, more than that, you will enjoy the blessings of a righteous child who will bring you honor and blessing. And everyone else, if you don't have children at home anymore, I guess first of all, if you're a child, you're not a parent yet, you're a child, and your parents do that for you, you should thank them. Because not all parents do. Many parents leave children to raise themselves to their own destruction. And even if you don't like it, you should appreciate what they do. Because it's not easy. And uh, if you've got parents that are grown, you need to encourage those parents. When you see them disciplining their child or having a tough time, you need to remind them that this too will pass. It's just a stage. But if they'll do it right... It'll lead to a blessing. Your number one job, I'll say it again, is to lead your children to know Christ and grow in Christ. If you haven't been doing that and you want to repent as a parent, I want to call you to repent. I want to call you to begin doing again the things which God has called parents to do, to teach God's wisdom and to train with discipline. But if maybe your child's ready to put on Christ, you've been walking with them and teaching them and growing with them. Well, then walk with them down front as they prepare to make a life that will lead to the ultimate eternal blessing. If you have any need this morning, please come as together we stand and sing.